Hello, family, and welcome back to the Explore the Extraordinary podcast. My name is Betty Guadagno, and today I'm talking with Lee, and I'm so excited to have Lee on the podcast today. Uh, Lee is a certified spiritual life coach. She's a medium. She's a channel. She's a near-death experiencer. She's a spiritually transformative experiencer, and she just came into my life like two days ago. And I know that it's divine and her story is so powerful. My first initial reaction was, we got to get you on the podcast. You got to share this message with our community here at IONS. And I'm really grateful for your willingness to serve our community and the collective. And so I'm going to toss it right over to you to begin to share your experience with us. Well, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. And yes, this is very exciting. It's, um, It's an incredible experience to feel like you're not the only one. And to be in a, it takes away the bottom line of having to convince or be afraid of any reactions to what one would have to say. So, well, my experience, well, let's go back to January 3rd, 1991. I was living in the Netherlands in Amsterdam, and I was a student at the Film Academy in the University of Amsterdam. And uh, I was in production mode to make my my senior project. And I was with my teacher. And then I was late to an appointment with my girlfriend at the time. And so I went to the phone to call her to say I would be late or to meet her back at home. And as I was dialing the number, these hands, a set of hands came over and and cupped my eyes. And... um, you know, at the first second, it was like that familiar feeling of peekaboo. And the second second, it was like, I'm in Amsterdam and nobody here knows me enough to play peekaboo. And so I elbowed the person's hands, the owner of the hands, and the hands broke. And then there were two sets of hands on me. And they physically pulled me out of the phone booth, which in the Netherlands, they were much bigger than what we have here in the United States. And... um And then there were three fellas, and uh, they started punching me, and one kicked my legs out from under me and knocked me to the ground. Um, And two were beating me while the third watched on. Anyway, one of them kicked my right hip through my rib cage and um, then jumped on my chest and started beating my head into the cement. And uh, all of a sudden... All the pain stopped and I started to lift and I left my flesh uh, and I transcended out of my body to a higher realm. I don't know if now today I wonder if I just went out of my body, but when it was happening, it felt like I rose. So I went to this other space and in that space, it was um, thick and it was like a big fog and I rose and the the energy was like the most incredible energy I I had not yet consciously experienced in my body in this lifetime. It felt like the most loving mother that you could have possibly imagined. And considering I really um, didn't have that experience in flesh, it was very different. And then this voice spoke to me and it was kind of a male voice and it said, go back in your body. And my response was, what the F? I'm not going back in there. They're beating the crap out of me down there. And the response wasn't, it wasn't a dialogue. You know, you figure we're human. We have dialogues. And uh, the response was silence. And the silence 
was the most deafening silence I had ever heard. And it was almost like, uh-oh. And I don't know how much human time had transpired, uh, because what I did learn was there is no such thing as time and space in this other realm. And um, at that point, a while passed, and the voice spoke to me again and said, go back in your body. And it wasn't with any attitude. It was just matter of fact. And I aligned with the thought of yes, and I got sucked back to earth. And so it was like the fastest elevator you've ever been on. And I landed in my flesh, and I bounced, and I guess I must have uh, scared the fellows that were beating on me, and they jumped back. And one had grabbed my attache case, which had everything that I needed for the film that I was making uh, back then uh, from the film academy. And um, I laid there and I was like, I don't know how to ex describe the, the amount of pain that soared up. And then it was because I wasn't feeling the pain while they were beating me because <clears throat> I think I was in an altered state. And then I got up and I made my way uh, like Quasimodo dragging my leg with me back to my teacher's uh, home. And then he said, what happened? And I told him briefly what happened. And he said, come, let's go to the hospital, or to, at least to the police. And I said, I want to find these guys. And um, so he, they followed me, he and his wife. And I found one of the fellows that attacked me. And I looked at him, he was getting on his bicycle. And I, and I said to him in English and in Dutch, I wanted my attache case. It had everything I needed for my film in it. I didn't tell him that. And uh, I said, I want my attache case intact and not found in one of the canals. And if it didn't happen, I was I knew where he lived and I was going to come back and I was going to kill him. And I said in Dutch and I said in English and I said, and I mean dead. And um, and then I collapsed after that. So Franz, my professor and his wife got me first to the police department and um, I had. uh told them the story I guess I must have and then the pain was just excruciating and they and then I went to the hospital and um and my girlfriend showed up but they didn't keep me there they let me I was there for a bunch of hours but they let me go home because I didn't I didn't go into a coma and they needed to keep me there to watch me to make sure I didn't go into a coma and then they sent me home so that was that was one of the big experiences that I had. Um, what I want to circle back to before I go on further is all throughout this lifetime, I've had these really um, clarifying moments. Like I knew that um, I was being told to to wake up or t take a look out or be aware of something. And it started way back, way, way back when I was a young child with my grandparents at our country home, upstate New York. And my great grandmother lived in the apartment below. And my, <clears throat> my grandmother said, go get, go get Bubby. It's time for, for dinner. So it was Friday night and I went out down to her place down the stairs. And as I stood in the window, in the doorway, looking through the screen door, my great grandmother were Jewish, was lighting the Sabbath candles. And she had put the shmata on her head and she lit the candles. And in that moment, there was this incredible, it was just an incredible moment. 
And I, it was what I call my first moment of awe, conscious awe. And something came over me in, in watching that. And um, the magic of that moment is what has been the underlining thread throughout this entire lifetime. I have, have searched for awe everywhere I could go. And um, I've had a lot of, of those out of body or otherworldly experiences simultaneously as being alive and present in this world here now. And uh, I've gone through and challenged a lot of different um, ideals and what, what groups of people would tell me. And it, it's always been something that I've had this really strong inner voice that told me what the truth was and what it wasn't. And even if a group of people were, were standing in a circle and telling me I was blah, 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 whatever it was, like, uh, oh, you're a lesbian, you're the lowest piece of hoo-ha in the world. And there were 70 of them. And the women were told to turn around. The men could say anything they wanted. I There was this feeling inside, even though oh, there were so many people screaming at me and calling me names that knew that th this no longer was a place of healing for me and I needed to move on. And as a direct result of that experience, that was a long time ago. That happened in 1978 in New York. And it was um it was in a synonym program. And um what they wanted me to do, and it was like a Jewish drug program, which is a weird oxymoron unto itself, was that um you don't say shiva for yourself. That's like anti the Bible, whatever. And um, so they wanted me to get a doll and bury it. It was to represent the lesbian part of myself. And then um, I was to get a box and paint it the color. Uh, it represented how I felt on the inside. So I got this wood box crate and I painted it red. And that was the box I was going to stand on to beg and for forgiveness and understanding or whatever. And um I just sat down at one point and I said, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And they were like, get up, get up, get up. And I don't even want to tell you what, what they called me. It was horrible. And um, this was part of tear down therapy of those days. And uh, I said, there's nothing left for me here. And I got up and I walked out. And mind you, I had been in therapy and hypnotherapy, by the way, for two and a half years with the, the director of this program to help me heal some of my childhood wounds. And what wound up happening is that he, they wound up calling me two weeks later and saying, come back, come back. We want to help you. So that so that for me to come back, I had to agree to do this sitting shiver for myself and and I couldn't be part of groups. I had to do this whole thing. And so I agreed to it. It was insane. I knew it was insane, but I knew I needed to do it. And I didn't understand why. So I was reading the prayers and saying cottage for myself. And uh, all of a sudden behind me, this there was this light that formed. And it was the brightest light that I had ever experienced. And I turned around and it was Jesus Christ. And I thought, oh, my God, I've lost my mind. And he, he was uh, he was this the same energy I experienced many years later when I had my near-death experience. I experienced in that room 
in that Jewish drug program in Little Neck, New York in 1978. And I was not prepared in that year to receive the love that was being poured towards me. And so I took off and I ran out the door and out the building and down the street and along the Horace Harding Expressway where my father found me running and took me home. And I couldn't even talk. I was so overcome by this experience. And so I went to uh, see a very dear friend of mine and, I, and who was a born again Christian. And I said, listen, I need I need your help. I just had this wild experience. I need a Bible and I need to go to your church. And he took me to the church. And as soon as I walked in the room, this woman went into tongues and I'm Jewish and we don't go into tongues. I'd never had this experience before. And this other woman said, I'm going to testify. I'm going to testify. And so after the woman came out of tongues and this other woman started sharing, she was talking about me and what happened in the room at, at, at the program. And I freaked. There was no denying that there was this power greater than myself affecting everything that was going on in my life at that point. And that my life had been drenched in something, whether it had been the whole time or not, at that moment, I didn't understand that. I just was having these experiences. So from there, I would have other experiences. But those two are really significant. I mean, I, I have faced death a few times in this life. I have um, faced not being able to take a deep breath and asking for the divine order. I can tell you, though, that since this near-death experience in the Netherlands, I've been gifted certain, in Hinduism, we call them buns, gifts. And I studied for 20 years with a, a Jewish woman who was a Hindu guru, but um, that's a whole other reality. But um, she used to say that you get granted boons according to what your soul needs to be able to accomplish in this life. So one of the gifts that I've been given, the boon I've been given is I have the ability to reach up and receive that divine sticky gooey love and transmute it and put it out into the world. And I truly believe that I've been brought back here. I didn't want to come, mind you, I really didn't want to come to do the work I needed to do, to get the understanding I needed to get, to get the healing I needed to get, to share the healing that I've received and find those on this path who want to help in joining together and and, and emphasizing the, the infinite oneness that we all are. So I just want to share just a couple of ideas and then let's take it from there. Um, the first thing that it took me many years um, to understand and really get was that every, all of us, you know, you have that inner voice that tells you, no, don't do that. No, that wouldn't be a good idea. And we ignore it for whatever reason. Well, that other reason is called ego. And that the ego, it, all ego is not bad. I'm not an ego smasher. But the part of us that um, amps up in, um, in, a lower, in the lower frequencies and as opposed to the higher frequencies is, is almost, it's a, it's a disease. And um, this whole planet has it. 
and it's called being a human. But um, being a human isn't only a disease. It's it's multidimensional. But that's the lowest part. Anyway, so the God, I call it the God spark. It's inside our hearts. That's how our, I believe how our hearts pump, really. And the heart sits inside of our bodies, our flesh. But our flesh sits inside of our, our soul. And that our soul is infinite. And that some people call it, they can see auras or they can see different things like that. And not just humans have auras. Everything has an energy field. And so a soul is an energetic field. It's a field where everything exists. Meaning like if we inhale and we exhale, we're breathing the same air. That same air is feeding all of our bodies together. And the same thing with if you go in the water, the water is also an energetic field. Um, scientists and oceanographers call it negative ions. It's way more than negative ions. But the negative ions is what we need for calm and collected togetherness, if you will. So that's really, for me, understanding that oneness and how we are oneness and everything that exists in the ethers. You know, if you have a stop and you look through your eyes and you see like sight breaks down into like little dots, imagine that's like all the particles of all of our souls merged together. And so that is the ultimate and what I would refer to as the oneness. Now, how do we utilize this oneness? And that's the path we're on here. And how do you, if you have been injured, if you've had trauma, if you have been abused, how do, my question to you was, do you know how to separate out the human experience from the soul experience? And if you do, right on, I'd love to talk to you. And if you don't, that's fine. You're not there yet. And I'm here to talk to you. So if there's any questions, please get in touch. And if there's anything else that I can do for you, please, it's it's a gift to be of service to you. Thank you. Lee, oh my goodness. Thank you so much for your eloquence, your experience, and your vulnerability. And yeah, when I heard your story the other day, I just, I thought this is very empowering for people who have experienced trauma to be able to, you know, like you turned just all of these really traumatic experiences into part of your spiritual path. Uh, so like, no, vic I don't hear any victim mentality when you talk. And that's, I think that's like the most profound spiritual gift is to mm -hmm. really, yeah, transform out of that victim mentality and to see everything as part of the purpose in the path to, yeah, our spiritual journey. So a couple of things came up. The first thing that came up and I, and I recognized it the other day, but you, you were sharing the experience and I didn't want to say anything, but my like special angel number that comes to me is 139 and your experience mm -hmm. happened on 1391. And I just thought that was like very kind of synchronistic. And I just wanted to point that out. So um, you said that I, this, this came up for me when you were talking about, about your experience, you said that you went back to your professor's house and you had explained to him what had happened. I'm curious if you had any awareness of the spiritual experience or if you shared about the spiritual experience when sharing about the, you know, the actual physical trauma that happened. That night, I did not talk about the spiritual experience. Um, it was just the physical reality of my body 
and the extraordinary discomfort I was in. Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious, like if any, yeah. if any of that like came out in that moment. Um, so moving on, well, moving backward to mm-hmm. your experience in, in 78 and, and, um, again, just like affirming, I love that you, that you saw all of the abuse that was going on as like a message that this was like the wrong path. And, you know, this was like, not, this was not correct. I mean, like, obviously that's like very brutal, just the imagery alone. I can't even even imagine what the actual experience was like, but the imagery, when you talk about it, it just seems like, yeah, like daggers being thrown at you, you know, like just so intense. And I'm, I'm wondering what are your feelings around Judaism or organized religion today? I believe or I believe there was a purpose for organized religion. Um, not saying that there aren't a lot of tenants that are housed in religion that are not that are necessary uh, and are life affirming. But in terms of organized religion, I I think that it, Organized religion was created to control the masses. Um, I was once in Mesa Verde at the cliff dwellings. The Anastasi Indians, natives, um, built these cliff dwellings in Durango, Colorado. And I remember being, I used to go there many times because it was just, it, it fed my soul and I didn't even understand why. And I remember one time I spoke to this park ranger who was a sociologist and I said, Please explain to me why in the year 500, the the Anastasi were building these cliff dwellings. And in Europe, they were building great cathedrals. And he said to me, it's because religion was created to control the masses. Because they didn't know how to deal with the lower frequencies, basically. So they wanted to contain and control them. So if you look at all the tenants in now, I'm not saying the Bible is, is not real, or the, but I've studied the Bible. I've studied the Torah. I, I, have, I am Jewish. I have a membership at the oldest gay and lesbian synagogue in the world here in Los Angeles. Um, I don't go as often as I did. Uh, I, I am a part of that community, but I'm also spent 20 years with a woman who taught me about Hinduism. And I'm, I'm, and so for many years, I called myself a Hindu because I combined those teachings. And basically, coming from parents that don't even believe there's a God, I was on my own. And it was only through my Bubby's, you know, experiencing my Bubby's awe. That part of Judaism holds a resonance. The, the, and is it the Judaism or is it the person's devotion? And so I believe organized religion is also set up for a place for the masses who aren't necessarily living in a higher frequency to have a higher frequency for them individually under the auspices of religion. And that's why people get so crazy about their religion because they feel like it's everything or there'll be nothing. It's like a life and death approach. And so that to me is dangerous. Anytime people can be controlled with that level of vulnerability, it brings up the darker side of everybody's soul. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. I, I, I just, I, I love how 
Yeah, I just I don't even have, have the right words to articulate it, but you were so traumatized by this particular um like sect of religion and still like understand that there's purpose inside of it. And yeah. um and I think that that's really beautiful to be able to conceptualize and articulate as well, you know. So thank you for that reflection. Um sure. something else that came up when you were talking was this experience in the Christian church, you know, like this experience of and the way that I interpreted it and, and like, let's, let's talk about it a little bit was that, yeah, I mean, like, that's bizarre that your experience was being mirrored back to you in a place that how could that even happen? Right. And so, I mean, like I have a million theories going in my head about like why or how, or, you know, all of these things. I'm curious if you come to some sort of conclusion about what that actually meant, that there was a woman in the church speaking in a Christian church, speaking back to you, your experience that happened in this Jewish kind of conversion camp. And like, yeah, have you come to any sort of conclusion about what that meant metaphysically, spiritually, anything? I I believe it was like, um, you're on the right path now. Not it wasn't the specific, you know. So many times, it's not about the specifics; it's about how the, how life falls together, and we have experiences. So the first thing that it did was it validated that what I had just experienced really exists. It really happened. You're not nuts. Like I thought, I lost my mind, and here I'm being told, "No, you didn't lose your mind. You had an experience with Jesus Christ," and. Um, it's that's the piece that stood with me. What it also meant to me is that it doesn't matter the religion. It doesn't matter where your devotion is. As long as you're practicing acts of devotion, meaning cleansing ourselves, removing the obstacles, uh, going to a higher level, serving people, it, it's all in there. And so the building doesn't matter. The building, the soul, that's what we're talking about. So that was a soul experience. That was a validation that, yes, you're doing what you came here to do. Now let's get that healing for you. I'm so grateful that that happened in your experience so quickly after the experience. Because, yeah, I know, like, I, you can feel like you lost your mind when you have, like, these really profound spiritual experiences because it's so far away from what we're taught in society Right. And like all of these constructs and, and just to have that affirmed so quickly is amazing. And I, yeah, I, I love that part of your story so much. So you talked about the process of transmuting this ooey gooey love. And I love the imagery in the way that you described that. And I'm curious if maybe you can share a little bit about what that process of transmutation kind of looks like and feels like for you. Sure. That Thank you. That's a really great direction to go in. Um, Yes. What it feels like is a gift that I get to stand up, which after being knocked down and beaten, that's a whole other reality, right? So every time I can stand up, I am so happy, okay? So I stand up and I breathe and I get myself centered because grounding is a very important part of this because we are in flesh. We're not just spirit. We need to take care of this vessel. And so then I clear and I I literally raise my left arm up, okay? And I just keep breathing into my hand and up my arm and then down my arm. And then like right now, it just happened. 
just talking here. Okay, so it's in my hand. It's, it's almost like an invisible white orb is how I would describe it to you. And it's, it, it's oh, wow. Okay, so I'm not usually in this state to communicate about this. This is very interesting. Okay, so it's down my elbow now, and it's coming down to my shoulder. It's coming across my chest. And breathing it in, breathing it out. And then I bring my other hand down, and I hold, and I breathe into my hands like this, but lower. And I create the orb. The orb comes and it's taking form. So now it's growing and it's growing. And I pull my hands out and then I start moving it about. And whether others can visually see it with their human eyes, they can feel it with their third eye because their third eye would start pulsating. And then I give it out. Just like that. And basically, I believe that all of our souls that aren't in flesh appear like orbs, like white lights, like sometimes not so white lights, sometimes other colors. But basically, when a soul is present, you will see flashing of white lights. And I believe that's the, the energetic field sparking. And so what I get to do is touch the divine, what I have it use me as a... You, utensil of sorts and I seminate it out. So that's the transmission is receiving and, and releasing without looking at who's taking it. Because it's not about because the, if we start thinking about who is receiving this, that's not my business. That's my ego. So it's just about freely releasing it and giving it away and asking that nothing negative comes out of this experience. Wow. As you were, as this whole process was happening, there was an ambulance driving by my house. And like, as you released it, like it came right past my window. I don't know, maybe it was for them. Maybe it was for me, maybe just for the collective, but that was really powerful for me. I'm like hearing this sort of siren go off as you're sharing about this beautiful orb. And thank you so much for the imagery and the process around it. And I think that that's such a powerful gift, you know, and, and to be open to receiving gifts like that. Like, I mean, I think that we all have access to these kinds of gifts. You know, I hear so many people that are like, well, why you and not me? And, you know, it's just about removing for me, it's about removing the blocks to awareness. Like, how can I receive these spiritual gifts if it's something that I truly desire in my path? And um, well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to ask, what, what was you, the, go ahead. What you, what you just said is so important. Yeah. Everybody can do this, okay? It's it's a birthright if you want it. But people only take or do what's on their path. It's not like I really have been attracted to this since my great-grandmother in that room. Oh, I wanted that. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that that was just like, that is the it. The it. It's not that you can't do it. Why can I do it? You, you can do it. I don't hold the reins of you know, mysticism and, and multidimensional realities, we all do. But do you want to be willing to be open to that experience, really? Yeah. I, um, is that something that you assist people with in your own coaching business? Do you teach them how to tap into that, to those yes. spiritual gifts? I love that you yes. said it's a birthright because it absolutely is a birthright. Yeah. Yeah. It is a birthright. I, 
I think that, you know, like I, for me, uh, after my spiritual experience, I had so many gifts. It was like a bucket of water had been poured on, on my head. And it was just like, here, here's like the whole, a whole new universe to live in. Exactly. And I was like, yo, can you guys take this stuff away? Like I cannot handle all of this. I got other stuff I got to do. Like I got to figure out how to be a person with this new awareness, you know? And I, I asked to have some of that stuff dialed down. And, uh, I'm curious, like, have you ever been in a place in your own spiritual journey? It sounds like you have like you've tapped into so many gifts where you just felt like kind of overwhelmed by the magnitude of that. <laughs> yes. I had one, one uh, experience comes to mind. My, uh, my teacher's name was Majaya uh, Sati Bhagavati, who I studied with for over 20 years. And um, she was, she, she served on the parliament of world religions with the Dalai Lama and other great spiritual leaders. And one of the leaders was uh, the head of the Sikh religion. Um, Yogi Bhajan and Yogi Bhajan has this place in New Mexico. Anyway, on one of Ma's trips, she invited my, at that point, my girlfriend, now my wife, to for us to join her on this journey to Yogi Bhajan's house. And she said, yes. And I was like, are you kidding? So we went to New Mexico and I felt like my brains were being played with, like I was having spiritual ping pong and I was the ball. And, um, so at the end of the day, when we we're going back to the airport to come back to Los Angeles, I got on my knees and I begged Ma. I said, turn it off. Turn it off. Please turn it off. Because it was just like I was being rearranged suddenly without permission. But I did give permission by going. And that's one of the things we have to learn. We're really not victims. We're choosers. And so what we have to do is we have to get in line with what's our highest good. And choose for our highest good. I love that. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. That That's amazing. Amazing. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation today. I, I want to see if there's anything else that you'd like to share about to feel more complete about our time together. Thank you for that. Um, you know, this is a tumultuous time in history. And the world has changed. It started a couple of years back. I mean, everybody recognized that something was happening when COVID hit and we all were sent to our rooms. The whole planet was put on a timeout. What force creates a timeout for the entire planet? Think about it. Some hated it. Some rebelled against it. And that's what we find ourselves in now. There's still a lot of tumultuousness going on. There's a lot of love coming to this planet. And so I want to give you this visualization. Most people know about the chakras. And if you don't, just check, Google it. Find out about your chakras. If we are not clear vessels and we're receiving divine love, that's a very non-human, powerful essence. And we all are getting it. But just like was mentioned, we can't handle it or we have blocks. So if you don't open your blocks, your chakras, get rid of what stands in your way. When that energy comes in, it creates implosions and explosions because people are not clear vessels to receive the love. If you're a person who desires peace and love and harmony, 
And you want to see this planet become the best it can be? Clear your chakras. Give me a call. Whatever you need, call anybody, somebody who you see has energy that wants to heal and love, that doesn't have to hurt you. You don't have to walk through a maze of hell to get enlightenment. You just have to change and make another choice. And every moment of every day, we have the opportunity to stop and change. Start again. Start again. You're fighting with somebody you love. Stop. Why are you fighting with somebody you love? You hurt. They injured you. They offended you. So get in touch with that. And ask yourself, how old are you? How old do you feel in this moment? And if you feel four, five, six, whatever, that's not your current age, then it's time for you to start reparenting yourself and be your mommy, your daddy, or both. And love that being that didn't get what they needed then. So I want to ask you to say, I am worth it just because I am. It's your birthright. It's your birthright. It's your birthright. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I'm like so hyped up right now. That was really beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you for your willingness to come and serve our community, the collective, and putting yourself out there in this really vulnerable way. Uh, Lee's links are going to be in the liner notes of this episode, so please feel free to reach out. And yeah, thanks so much. We'll see you guys next time. Be wavy. Thanks.